All right, our text is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Is where we'll be covering tonight. I'll read the first verse. And um, I've titled the message, Do. And deacons do, okay. And um, you're fortunate you've got a very good board of deacons here. Uh, sometimes I've heard uh, other places horror stories. And I'm almost ashamed to say, well, I don't have that here. I've got some good men uh, God has blessed us with. And uh, we've, we've got a great board here. And so I appreciate that so very much. But do is D-O. It's deacon ordinations really is what that stands for. Glad those guys are happy I didn't have it as B-O. Uh, that could have been bad, Bo, but uh, we, we went with do. All right, so uh, we have that. But uh, our text is Acts chapter 6. And we start here with verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now understand, the disciples here is not talking about like the twelve. It's talking about the disciples, those that are saved. They, when you get saved, you should immediately, because you're to be taught, all that He commanded. That's part of the Great Commission. And so since that's part of the Great Commission, you're a disciple when you get saved. You become a disciple, a student, learning from the Word of God. And so you are disciples. And so the disciples multiplied. In Acts 2, there was uh, 3,000 added to the church that day. And then by Acts 4, there's another 5,000. And then by the end of chapter 5, there's a great multitude. It just quit numbering and said a great multitude. And so when the local church there is being established and put together and so forth in Jerusalem, there's about 8,000 people there, okay, and, and probably more. Some could have gone on to other directions and so forth, but you have an idea of how many people that this is including. And so it says, uh, there rose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And let me just uh, add one other thing to that, murmuring. The Greek word is murmur, 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 murmur. Okay, it's almost like the word is, we sound it in English. Murmur, 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 murmur. A murmuring. No, that's always a bad thing when there's people talking to other people throughout the church about things that they think is just wrong. And looking at this, the Grecians are murmuring against the Hebrews because they think they did it on purpose. So they're already judging the, uh, really the motives of the Greeks in this. Now whether that was an oversight or not, we don't know, we're not told. But one thing you do know by reading this they were Baptists, okay? They were hoarding the chicken, and, and they were also uh, murmuring. So you know they had to be uh, Baptists in that group. But uh, nonetheless, I just really see that uh, uh, it's good for us to know that there was, the church got started. It wasn't an easy thing. But God always has an answer. And so you just do 
what God gives us to do. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get to the message tonight. Father, as we have looked at this uh, first verse here tonight, Lord, just to start here as our text goes through these other verses here, Lord, we just want to be able to help each person to be aware of each of these deacons, Lord, that the help they need, the encouragement they need, the prayer they need, and to work together that we will come into the unity of the doctrine of Christ and into the full stature of his person. And we would ask this in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen. Okay, now we we'll take up here then in verse 2. They've just heard that there's a murmuring going on. They've come to them. Uh, these people are talking about it. They come to the 12 apostles. Okay, the 12 are there. Of course, Judas is not one of those now. He's already dead. Uh, he hung himself. And so they voted one in as an apostle. And it says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. In other words, okay, uh, God gave us a special thing. That is the Word of God. We've got to teach. We've got to preach it. We can't leave the Word of God. We've, we've got to get into it. And we can't oversee this feeding of everybody, organizing it, doing all that other. I need people to step in my place is basically what they're all 12 are saying. We need to have something to, to take care of this. And so, uh, it's not for us to uh, leave the Word of God and serve tables. Because then the thing that suffers is the greatest thing. It's not some people not, not being ministered to in the food. It's that they're not getting the Word of God, especially as they're new believers. And so, understand, serving tables itself is not a bad thing. It's not lowering oneself. There's duties throughout the church. Uh, I mean, just think, if I worked in the nursery it would never recover again, okay? So, no, I don't work, that, that is not it. We need nursery workers, don't we? And can you imagine everybody, now I, I remember growing up that they brought babies into church and it was a circus. I mean, it was a circus. One time somebody said to me, said, I think all the kids should be in church, all the babies should be in the church service and all of them. I said, well, we've got microphones going into the uh, we got speakers going into the nursery. I says, if one of them gets under conviction, crawls out of the bed and crawls in here, comes forward, we'll lead them to Christ. You know? And, and that's been facetious, but no more facetious than that. Let's get them all in here. No, we're not in here to show off our babies. We're in here to preach the Word of God and to grow thereby. And so we appreciate their babies. We love the babies. They're the future of the church. We want them to get saved. We want them to be used to going to church. And things will change as they grow up. Uh, as far as not being in a nursery anymore and then less games and more about Jesus. Now, so serving tables is not a bad thing. But it is needed in church when there's just these 12 pastors who are working over at least 8,000 people. And so, uh, you have 8,000 people there, and seven men 
will be needed for the job. Now, if we went strictly by the Bible, how many men do you need for a church? Well, if you have at least 8,000 church, you need at least seven deacons. That would send people with large churches uh, head over heels backwards. No, you can't do that. You've got to have much more than that. You've got to have this. You've got to have the bankers. You've got to have this guy. You've got to have that guy. You've got to have this guy. No, you've got to have what God tells us to do. Now, I'm not saying seven's the number that God said it as an only number. You've got to have less. You've got to have more. It's not the number that's important. It's the deacon and what they do that's important. And so, uh, they said, we can't leave the Word of God. That is, we can't stop in our study and preaching of the Word of God and so forth to attend to these things. Perhaps they could have done that. Perhaps they could have organized it. I mean, Jesus had the disciples there who were the, who were the apostles who, uh, when He said, had them sit down in the 50s, and they sat down in the 50s, they got spread, and they handed out the food, and they did all those things. And these uh, seven would be there to direct people on, okay, you deal with this group, you deal with that, you do with this, you get that done. But uh, they needed direction. Jesus directed the disciples what to do, and they did it. But these things had to be done. Now, you've got to understand this. Leaving the Word of God means you're going to stop in the study. That preacher's got to stop in his study, meditating and know, seeking God's face and what he wants him to preach and do to attend to those things. I think as much as anything, the Lord set up deacons for the sake of the pastor. Now, you think about the ministry of Jesus Christ and the apostles. Jesus Christ, you realize that well over 90% of those that He healed were brought to Him. Even one, they said, my daughter's sick at home, and He says, you go on your way, they're healed, and they were. Now, Jesus didn't have a hospital visitation set up. Now, he, Peter was one of His disciples. He went to the house, his house, his mother was sick, his mother-in-law, and He healed his mother-in-law. So, we do understand that part. And sometimes there is a visitation there. But he didn't go around visiting every shut in, all that. And usually they came to him. Peter walked through the streets. They brought the people out in the streets. Some that they might even be healed just by the very shadow passing by them. But Peter and those guys didn't go through all of Jerusalem and then later throughout all their missionary journeys to find sick people to heal. Although they did do that, because it was used of God to give authority that those people might hear the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, we read in James chapter 1, verse 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So, the deacons in Jerusalem were, now as churches are being established, this is the first choosing here in Acts chapter 6 of deacons. And so they're bringing them together, and they're looking after the things of business, the things that need to be carried out, the things that need to be decided, and how to do it. And yet, you see that it's the apostles that assigned them. Okay, now I want you to do this. 
with the thing. Because those apostles are now pastors. So these pastors are saying, deacons, this is what I want you to do. So you can uh, get these fed, get these taken care of. Um, so you have these deacons now that are in the church, and, and they're taking these things over. When I first come here as pastor, we had a large, I mean, we have, we have a lot of shut-ins right now, but boy, we had a much larger group of shut-ins when I first came here and took over as pastor. And I realized, uh, you know, my first church, I had 19 members, so you didn't have that many shut-ins, okay? And, and it was a relatively new church. I mean, it was about six or seven years old when I took over it, so it wasn't a church that had been established a long time and a lot of people had gone through it. And so I could go around and visit people that were sick, people that were in the hospital, people that were in other situations. I could, I could visit them. I could do that as a pastor and yet carry on the work, make the visits, do the other things that were involved with that. But when I come here, I realized if I go around and visit every shut-in, I'm not going to have time to prepare sermons. And that's when I first asked the deacons about, uh, about it. I said, uh, I'd like we had Brother Ira Moore here, and he was the first one that headed up the shut-in ministry. He'd go around, pray, and visit with him and all that, and act as a deacon would act. Now you say, well, why didn't you just assign that to all the deacons? Uh, most of them were, at that time, working full-time jobs. They had families. Uh, it would be hard for them to get about and do those things. So a retired pastor I thought would be a good uh, thing to do. Now we have Dr. Woodard. He's doing an outstanding job. Just got started in it and doing, already doing an outstanding job with it. And so praise the Lord for that. But understand James chapter 1, you know, it's not a pastoral epistle. It's an epistle that's written to the scattered people out there. And you find that for Christians, each of the church, you're going to practice pure and undefiled religion, then you're going to visit the fatherless, the sick, the afflicted. You're going to uh, visit these people uh, that are needed to be visited. Now we go back to our text, verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among yourselves seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. Now how can you tell if a Man is full of the Holy Ghost. Oh, he speaks in tongues. No, that wasn't it. Well, he's able to do a lot of shouting. No, that wasn't it. No, they were obedient to the Word of God, to the Lord. The lives they led were moral and pure in the service of God's house, of God's people. And so he says, there and wisdom is one of the requirements, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we, that is, we pastors, may appoint over this business. These pastors are appointing the deacons that are going to be over this business. But they gave the people a guideline to recommend men that would be good deacons. And so they gave really a, a qualifications. And those qualifications we just saw there. Now, when we look at new deacons, we've got three new deacons. All three of those 
were recommended to me. When they are recommended, the first thing I do is I go and get a deacon questionnaire. As a matter of fact, that deacon questionnaire is a part of our uh, constitution, as a matter of fact, here at Central Baptist Church. Let me just read you some of these questions. Uh, and, and there are 11 questions on this side, and then the rest of it, it makes 24 questions. 90% uh, is not good. It's got to be 100%. Okay. All based in Scripture, all doctrinal. Uh, for example, do you know that you have been saved by uh, accepting Jesus Christ, your personal Savior? I think that's a good requirement, don't you? And then... Uh, According to the teaching of Acts 6, do you believe that the main duty of a deacon is to serve as the pastor's helper, as secular and, and menial duties, so the pastor will not have to leave the Word of God and serve tables? Well, we just read something about that, did we not? Uh, we have other questions in, in there. Uh, do you faithfully attend all the services of your church, Sunday school, uh, morning worship, evening worship, Wednesday night prayer and Bible study, as well as revival meetings and conferences, unless providentially hindered. And of course, they've got to answer on that. Uh, stewardship is a serious qualification, especially in light of the local church. Do you believe in and practice storehouse tithing? And so that has to be answered yes. Will you honestly endeavor to put down murmurings and complainings as you would smother a fire. Facing them frankly and dealing with them fairly and then stand loyally with the majority in their decisions. Okay, so we have that. Uh, here are questions like, do you pay your bills? Do you indulge in all at all? Do you indulge in all? Do you indulge at all in alcoholic beverages, drinking yourself, having part in the direct sale of it voluntarily, or allowing it served in your home? Okay, that's another thing. Uh, do both you and your wife know how to hold your tongues against? needlessly spreading gossip or talking critically of others. Okay, they got to answer that. Yes, okay. And, and by the way, uh, I, I've told the deacons, they've heard it from me more than once, that what goes on in a deacons meeting is not to be discussed with your wife. We don't keep any secrets from one another. No, that's a big lie. It is. Some of you men have said things, you know, boy, she, she messed that up big time. But you don't go home and tell her that you told people that. No, there are things you keep from one another. Maybe it's to keep the peace or whatever. But no, but these things, you don't go spread out. And the wife, it's not to be one that goes out spreading things around as well. So they, the wife has to measure up in that thing. Uh, uh, are you a member of any secret order of fraternity and things that we go on about that? Uh, uh, do you endeavor to win souls for Christ and as an opportunity arises? Uh, 
In your heart, you believe that Jesus could come at any moment. I'm not reading all the questions, just some of these questions. If you ever feel that you cannot consciously and in the spirit of Christ as outlined in the Bible, back your pastor, your fellow deacons, and the majority of your brothers and sisters in Christ, be honest and fair enough to resign without strife, sowing discord, and gossip. So they do that, then they have to sign that paper. As a matter of fact, uh, usually I tell deacons when they're coming on the board, is now there's going to be people that's going to come to you, and that's kind of like the murmurers, they're going to come tell you, you know, some things need to change in this church. Got to get rid of some of those standards. That music now needs help. And, and then our youth, and, and then they, and different things. Yeah, they're going to come to the deacons about it, the new ones. And so they have to stand in the unity of the faith, for there's one faith, one God, one Christ, one Lord, one baptism. They stand in that direction. So that's what is necessary. They stand. So we have that questionnaire that they go through, and, and they uh, follow that as well. So again, if they get that 100% right, then from that point we bring them in. We question them. We question about doctrine. Usually what's stated on the back of your bulletin is a doctrinal statement. We go through that with them, asking questions. And again, that's got to be at 100%. And then the deacons, because our deacons are all ordained, then they answer. Uh, and after they've given their answers, we vote on it. Whether they're accepted as a deacon to be recommended to the church. And then tonight, in, in Acts, we'll see they would lay their hands. As a matter of fact, let's go back there now uh, in verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, what a pastor must do. And remember, to study, to show himself approved unto God. And you must uh, really stay true to the Word. Now, these are things that he must do. He said, you appoint those, you give us those 12, you follow the guidelines, and then they're going to lay their hands on them and pray, showing as a pastor before the rest of the church, we are saying that these people are approved and we accept and we appoint them to this office. Now, uh, once deacons are ordained, they're also used in the laying on of hands to when we ordain a new uh, deacon. And so we use them in that respect because these men have already made those decisions. So, we, we see that. It says, and the saying pleased the, the whole multitude, and they, uh, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, now isn't it interesting Stephen and Philip would be evangelists that would go out, but remember, evangelist is not the same office as pastor. And so he says, uh, Philip and uh, Procreus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. 
So now their positions, pastors and overseers, they must now uh, move on in God's uh, sight as everything has been met in the eyes of the Lord. As pastors, they lay the hands on them as an endorsement of this appointment of this, what the people have given to them to work as overseers in the serving of tables. Now, that doesn't mean just the eating. That talks about the business of the church as well. And uh, under the leadership and the direction of a pastor, the overseer. Okay, and so again, that's the way God set it out. Verse 7, and they did all of this. They do this. After they do all of this, notice verse 7. And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples, that is newly saved ones, multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests, those Jewish priests, were obedient to the faith. Even Jewish priests got converted. You see, but that happens after these guys do, these people do, they meet together and they do as thus saith the Lord, and they did it God's will, God's way, in God's timing. That is always right. So, in this case, we've got three men that we're presenting tonight. That that's what we followed. Now, we put out on Wednesday night, and again, in your bulletin today, these men are men, they, you might say, passed the test, you might say, in the fact that of answering the questions and answering our questions. And those that thought that they met the bill, uh, I want to say thank you for doing that. I normally don't go out and just say, okay, I think this will make a good deacon, I give him a questionnaire. I'll wait for you people to recommend it. And that's the way we make decisions on deacons. But praying for our deacons. I'll go across this quickly. Pray that our deacons will be kept from fornication, which Satan has used to destroy many churches. And that has. That's caused a problem in churches. that got a deacon, all of a sudden uh, he's in adultery or something of that nature. And what happens? Uh, he may or may not get caught. But what you've seen of the disciples being added and the church suddenly beginning to blossom and grow also gets held back. Just like in Israel, when the gold was hidden in the man's tent under the ground, that they were told not to take, and all Israel suffered for it. And when a leader like that goes into fornication, the church suffers for it, whether the people know it or not. The church suffers. Pray that each deacon will be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're baptized once by the Holy Ghost. But you read through the book of Acts, those first four or five chapters, you read, and they were filled again. See, the filling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are two different things. And the filling of the Holy Spirit is how much He has of you, not how much you have of Him. You got all the Holy Spirit when you got saved, but the truth of the matter is, sometimes we don't walk in the Spirit. And the less control the Holy Spirit has in your life, the more victory Satan gets. And so sometimes there has to be that refilling of the Holy Spirit, giving all those parts back over to him.
So pray for them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Pray that each one will grow spiritually and will faithfully assist the pastor in the Lord's uh, local church. Ask God to keep His hand upon their families as well as the pastors. Satan likes to attack leadership in the local church as often as he can, and many times he'll try it through the families. And, and I'll guarantee you, anything uh, a child of theirs mess up, well, if they had been what they're supposed to have been, their children wouldn't have messed up. That's not what it says their children would never mess up. They take care of it. They deal with it. They get it taken care of. In other words, they're in control of their home. So often, when people will murmur and say things, and they don't even know what's all behind what's going on in the family, but they're going to speak like they are up to date on everything, and they'll not only go like that, like they know their thoughts and everything else, they'll go around and tell other people. Look, I grew up in a pastor's home. I knew what it was as a teenager to have, have parents and have people say things about you. And, and boy, if they had found out the things that were true, they would have had plenty to say without making up things. I think there was more made up than they actually found out that I did. I remember, I've told this story several times uh, in speaking to chapels and things like that. But as a preacher's kid growing up, boyfriend, girlfriend, when you're going 10th, 11th grade, you go with the girl and you break up with her. Or she breaks up with you, okay? And then you have another girlfriend. Then in a little while there's a breakup. Then you have another girlfriend. In a little while there's a breakup. I, I remember breaking up with one girl. I had, in the church, adult men. I mean, 35, 45, 50 years old coming up to me and telling me what a low down, no good for nothing wretch I was. And how bad a person I am and evil. Because I broke up with one that they thought I should not break up with. They had no idea. I said, man, if I ever break up with a girl again, I am not going to be around church to let anybody know about it either. <laughs> you know? well, I never told anybody, it just it gets out. But I'm just saying, people will talk. People will talk. It goes with the territory. And the funny thing about it, no, it's not funny, it's stupid. They think that they're righteous and going to other people and discussing, you know what, you know what their family, you know what this, you know what. They never spanked their children. Oh, so you actually lived with them and you saw every discipline situation and they never spanked their children. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, but I, I don't think they ever spanked their children. See, they don't know. They've just told another lie. See, gossip is still a liar. It's still never right. And boy, right there in Acts chapter 6, the murmuring got started. And so, uh, listen, listen, my kids will tell you that uh, once their name was Bloom, their lives were no longer private when people find out who they are. Okay. Uh, it's just no problem. Even the grandkids will say, oh man, I hate having the last name of Bloom sometimes. You know why? Because so much more expect. You shouldn't do that. Your dad, your grandpa, your whatever is a preacher. Or they're a deacon. Or whatever the situation is. That is a, one of the 
wrongest and dumbest things to say. You shouldn't do that because you're a Christian. That's what you tell them. That's what you tell them. Brother Tim McGinnis back there. Okay, his dad's pastor. I mean, I love that man. He was, he was a good. I always enjoyed talking to him. Brother Tim's dad, I mean, he was the preacher. But how many times did people talk about Brother Tim? Brother Tim could probably tell you about it. And I know Tim, he deserved it. Uh, okay. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that, uh, yeah, that's going to happen. And these deacons got to hold the line and stay true and don't let that make them quit. Their wives got to stay right there behind them and hold true and not allow that to make them quit. To stay true to the word. And so you have these prayer requests that are in there. Pray that each deacon will work towards keeping us as a church true to the word of God and standards of righteousness and true holiness, standing firmly against the pragmatism which makes the church acceptable to the culture of the world instead of heaven. And that as a church, we will labor in unity of the faith, that is the word of God, doctrine, and knowledge of the person of Christ, ever striving to grow into the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, one of the things of laying on the hands tonight and doing that in church service is not just to show that we're ordaining these men. It's also a call to each member of the church to uphold these men and their families in prayer. Being the one that would put down murmuring instead of adding to it. Being the first that gets to go around and tell other people about it. And so we don't want that. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Now understand, saying not wanting money, it said filthy lucre. Gambling. Stealing. Lottery. And so many other things. You know, you have people that claim to be Christians and, and they wanted legalized gambling to come to Florida. You know, they wanted to be like Las Vegas. And yet some of those would run for office and claim to be good Christians. Oh, we love God. So why are you working against them? You want the casinos here, huh? Never, if you're saved, and you're around anywhere that's a casino and you're going in there, don't call yourself a good Christian. Don't call yourself a good Christian. You're not. Because you say it doesn't make it right. Okay? So, these men cannot be of those things. Uh, again, not double tongue, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Other words, they are, are orthodox and fundamental. They are orthodox. Doctrine, ortho, dox, straight. Ortho means to set straight. Dox is referring to doctrine. Straight in doctrine. Fundamental, always true to the Word of God. And let these first be proved, and then let, the, let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. In other words, 
not people that can be rightly accused. Deacons will be falsely accused. But we don't want them to be rightly accused. And even so must their wives. See, when I was called to be a pastor, God basically called my wife as well to be a pastor's wife. She knows what it is to hear all the bad things said about a family, about your husband, about your children. She knows that. And that's hard on a lady. So must their wives not be slanderers. I wonder why he says slanderers, because God really looks at that as a filthy, rotten, abominable sin. Not slanderers, not fault finders. That is not down on people especially vocally, not going to them alone if they've heard something to find out if it's true. They usually don't do that. And if they do come to you about others, ask them, oh, so what did they say when you went to them and talked to them about it? Oh, I didn't do that. Then don't trust those people. Okay? Don't tr you can't trust them at all. Okay? Full, uh, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their own children and their own houses well. Doesn't mean there will not be anybody ever mess up in their house. Doesn't mean that. It means that they'll correct it and they'll take care of it and they'll deal with it in a godly, biblical way if it does happen in their house. And take care of the problem. Philippians 1 says, Paul, Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are, in, uh, which are at Philippi, with the bishops, who are the pastors, and deacons. If God would put that in holy writ, it must be important that it would be addressed not only to the pastors, but to the deacons. So, I've gone over this to tell you that by the Bible, we follow the biblical way. You recommend. We test doctrinally, and then we actually ask you to vote on it in a administrative meeting, but then they're still not ordained until we have the laying on of the hands as according to the Word of God. What I'm wanting you to know is that you have a responsibility to work with them, to help them as they help the pastor to keep this church true to doctrine, true to holiness. The Bible says it best, righteousness and true holiness in Ephesians 4, 22 and 23. We've got to stay true to the Word. This pastor may die sometime soon, maybe later. There's, the Lord does not come back in a certain amount of time. I may die. It will be no testimony to me if the church goes down.
If another pastor comes in that tries to lead the church out of the way of righteousness and doctrine, then I would trust that you would not work with that pastor. You would have the wisdom to say, okay, if that's the way the church is going, I'm not going to be a part of it. Uh, look, I realize I've had three strokes. I've had, I've had four strokes, haven't I? Four of them. Okay. I'm losing count. They just happened, okay? And they've all, the only thing they've affected is my eyes. I guess that's why some of you look better to me now. Uh, but uh, really, uh, hey, three score and ten, I'm past it. I'm past it, three score and ten. I'm living on borrowed time. I think that when I was uh, 1966 and I got hit head on at 80 mile an hour and didn't get killed that day, didn't spend the night in the hospital, I believe from that day forward I've been living on borrowed time. And so what I'm saying is, is this. I have myself been looking, interviewing people myself to be a pastor. Maybe to bring them in as an associate for about a year and then maybe, as if the Lord leads, let them be the pastor. And then, uh, boy, I know there are things I can do with the radio ministry and other ministries that we have. Now, I'm just sharing with you my heart right now. But you see, one of the biggest things that I want to give a new pastor coming in is a dedicated, doctrinally right, right with God deacon board. And I think that's what we have. And I praise the Lord for it. So folks, tonight, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads.